0: good morning. A few weeks ago, Pastor David and Ian, our Director of Children and Youth Ministries, and myself sat down to discuss doing a four-week sermon series together. And we each came together that day and we thought of various topics we thought we'd want to address, but we didn't have one that we were set on choosing. And then we began just talking, reflecting upon about how hard life has been for so many of us these last few years. We were talking about all the pain and the chaos and the struggles that we see in our world and in the lives of people that we love. This discussion happened on the week right during the mass shooting in Texas, and a long time with that as well as other killings and a war in Ukraine and the violence in our city, the three of us reflected upon the chaos and the darkness that we see often in our world. And on top of that, we have a pandemic that has and will continue to affect so many of us emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. Life is hard at times, and chaos and storms are real and painful. And even if we might not look at on the outside, inwardly, many of us have a bunch of torment and grief and pain swirling around in our lives. And sometimes when that happens, we wonder, where is God in the chaos? So after getting pretty you know, depressed in this discussion, we decided let's do a four-week series on Christ in the midst of chaos. We decided to take four weeks to look at four different miracles in the Gospel of Mark to maybe encourage us in our struggles, in our pain and in the chaos of life. And one reason we decided to choose the Gospel of Mark is because Mark was written to a group of people that was in facing intense stress and the chaos of the upcoming persecution that was coming upon them. Mark is one of the first, is the first of the four Gospels written, and it was written to a group of people that were struggling with trials and persecution and chaos. And during that, he wanted his audience, Mark did, to know many things about Jesus, including the fact that he is present in the chaos. And we decided in this Gospel of Mark series, we're going to just look at four miracles, because miracles show us who Jesus really is, and his power that is seen in nature seen against demonic forces and hopeless situations like sickness and death. So our hope is these four weeks we'll get to see Jesus as powerful and in control even when our situations seem desperate. And so as we start this brief series on chaos and the storms of life, I figured it would be appropriate to start with an actual storm that Jesus encountered with his disciples. So we're going to look at Mark 4, 35 through 41, and let me read that for us at this time. And rebuked the wind and the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time we have to look at your word. And we thank you for your spirit that is present to help us understand, be encouraged, be challenged, be convicted, all the places we need in our lives for you to reach us at. We thank you for your spirit and for your word and for your son, Jesus, that can help us. In your name, amen. So in my household growing up, there was a story that was often told about a cat and about a softball and a perfectly timed role to freak out the cat. The facts of the story are these. There was a game of catch happening between a dad and a son. There was a softball that was rolled perfectly to the cat that was walking across while we were playing catch, and it hit his legs at the exact time that made the cat freak out and jump in the air, and it was awesome. These are the facts, and these are indisputable. But the problem with the story was who rolled the ball. I was 100% sure I rolled the ball. I remember seeing our cat walking, knowing that if I timed it perfectly, I could freak him out. But my dad was 100% sure that no, he was the one that rolled the ball. So back and forth, weeks, months, years maybe, when we would tell this story, we'd always get to the part of who rolled the ball, and there would be a conflict between who thought they were right. And then one time, I was telling the story. And I mentioned something about how I remember we were at Jake's Pizza, which was the pizza place right near our house in the parking lot when this happened. And my dad said, no, no, we were actually on the sidewalk right next to our house. And then it hit us. We were talking about two different stories, two different events. Now, I tell you this story not just to illustrate that my dad and I both were cruel to our cat. But I tell you this story because I think it illustrates something we see in this story and in our our lives as well. See, the disciples were in this boat and they were believing they were about to die and they wake Jesus up and what do they say to him when they wake him up? Do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care how bad our situation is right now, Jesus? Do you not care? This is the story they believed. These are the facts they were convinced of, that Jesus did not care, that Jesus did not love them enough to help them in their time of need. But like my dad and I needed to realize that we were talking about two different stories with our cat, the disciples needed to realize the story they believed about Jesus was different from the story and the truth of who Jesus actually is. And we today need and see this story and believe this story as well about Jesus, especially in the times of chaos and storms that we are either presently in right now or you will be in at some point in your life. Because storms and chaos come into our lives, they sweep into our lives, and we start to believe that Jesus is indifferent to our plight. That Jesus is asleep during our need. That Jesus is unaware of our situation. And so perhaps we start to believe that Jesus doesn't care. And we begin to think these questions of Jesus Jesus, do you care that someone I love deeply is sick? That it looks like the cancer is winning? Jesus, do you care that my marriage right now is too hard and I'm overwhelmed? Jesus, do you care for my longing for a spouse, for my longing for a child, for my longing for this pain and and sickness to go away? Jesus, do you care? Jesus, do you care of all the violence in our city? Do you care of the mass shootings that happen in our nation? Jesus, do you care about my struggle, about my depression? About my anxiety. Jesus, do you care? You see, following Jesus is not always easy because believing Jesus knows what he is doing is hard when we are facing struggles and chaos and storms, wondering how we're going to get through the chaos that we're in right now. And so it is good for us to look at a story like this and see the facts of who Jesus is and how he deals with our fears and with our faith and with our failings. It's good to come to a story like this, especially when we have those times in our lives when we think Jesus is indifferent to our pain or unaware of what's going on in our lives. And it is good to be reminded of this story when we face the chaos in our lives. So our story today begins, and after Jesus has been teaching for a long time by the Sea of Galilee, he tells his disciples that he wants to go across the lake with them. Mark records that it is evening and that a handful of other boats will be joining disciples as they journey on a journey that Jesus is leading away from their homes and the familiar places where they lived and they worked to an unknown territory that was unfamiliar to them and was not a Jewish territory. This is in some sense a beautiful picture, I think, of what it looks like to follow Jesus. While there are a lot of crowds, including the ones that Jesus just spent time teaching, that liked Jesus for his teaching and for his miracles and for his healings, these disciples and this small group of other followers in the boats are interested in Jesus himself. They in faith go to where Jesus calls them to go, even though they're uncomfortable with where they're about to go. They follow Jesus to the place that they did not know, knowing that they were with Jesus and they wanted to be with him. But before they get to this unknown, unfamiliar other side of the Sea of Galilee, a powerful hurricane-like storm comes upon them. The Sea of Galilee is around 700 feet below sea level and they have some mountains near it and so the cold air from the mountain and the, the warm air from the sea clash at times and causes thunderstorms and squalls. Mark calls this storm a great windstorm, and he tells us that the waves are crashing into the boat as they're sailing. Now keep in mind, four of the 12 disciples were fishermen, and this was the sea that they made their living on. So it's safe to say they were involved in many storms as a fisherman throughout their life, but this storm was so bad that they believed they were gonna die. And while this is going on, we find Jesus in the back of the boat Sleeping on a cushion. Now, this is the only place in all of Scripture that we hear about Jesus sleeping. Jesus decides to take a nap at a time when the chaos and the storms are crashing upon them. And one of the reasons why Jesus was asleep is because he was tired. And I know that is a no duh statement, but I think sometimes we don't appreciate or understand how tired Jesus must have been a lot while he was on this earth. Jesus is worn out and exhausted because of the hours and hours and hours of teaching he just was doing. What the scriptures teach us about Jesus, what we believe as a church, is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And what that means in his humanity, that he got tired. He experienced pain. He got sore. He knows what it's like to feel spent and exhausted and unable to keep going. He knows what it's like to face physical struggles and exhaustion. As the writer of Hebrews puts out describing Jesus as our high priest, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. And this is huge for us to remember, especially when we struggle. Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. Jesus understands what you are going through right now. Jesus knows and has experienced firsthand on this earth struggles, pain, difficulties, and exhaustion. And so he slept because he was tired. But I also think he was able to sleep because of the trust that he had in his father to take care of him. Throughout all his life, even in the midst of great storms and chaos, even when evil was threatening him, Jesus was confident in his heavenly father's presence and power that he could be calm and even sleep in the midst of the chaos. Jesus knew that even the storm had no power over what God himself could do. He knew and he believed what a bunch of Psalms say, including the one Jay read for us in our Old Testament lesson, about how God works in the deep, how God commands the wind and the waves and can still the waters. Now imagine if we lived our lives knowing and believing, truly believing this about our God. Imagine not just in the smooth times, But in the crashing chaos of life, we believe that God's presence and power is here. And imagine if we actually believe that God does care for us. And imagine if that belief that God was present in the chaos and that he cares for us moves us to respond very differently than what we often do when chaos comes upon us. I don't know if you're like me, but when I face a hardship, I try to figure out how to take care of it. I try to suck it up and just move on, or I try to ignore it and make it go away. But what if instead, if that's like me and you, we in desperation cried out to Jesus in our chaos, wake up. What if we actually go to Jesus with our fears and our doubts and maybe even our anger and say, wake up. God is big enough for us to question and doubt. God is big enough and wants us to cry out corporately and individually that we are feeling over our heads and we are afraid. You know, the disciples were not the first people in scripture to ask God to wake up. In fact, we hear it again and again in various psalms. Psalm 44 has this line, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. We have songs in our Bible that the people of God would often sing, like Psalm 44, crying out to God to wake up. God's people in public worship and in private cries of lament again and again cry out for God to wake up. God is okay with our cries. God is okay with our questions and our pleas for him to rouse himself up and help us. And may we be a people who come to God with our needs and our chaos. But when we do, we need to be prepared for how he will respond, and what he might say to us. Jesus awoke, he rebuked the wind and the sea, and said to the sea, peace be still. Jesus was able to transform this great storm into a calm with a few simple words. Jesus didn't just stop the wind, which that in itself would have been miraculous. But when he stopped the wind, the waves immediately turned into a dead calm. There wasn't a ripple in the water. The power of Jesus is on full display here. The reality of who Jesus is as God and his ability to muzzle this great storm with just a simple word. This miracle of stopping the storm in and of itself would create great fear and awe of Jesus. And we see that in our story. But as well, the disciples on the boat, and Mark's original hearers of this story would have had a deeper understanding of the symbolism and the significance of what Jesus was able to do with the sea with just a few words. You see, the sea in ancient culture and legends was a symbol of unstoppable destruction. The sea was seen as a mythological place of potential chaos. And the sea was understood often as the manifestation of the realm of evil and death. That's why in the prophecy Daniel, Daniel describes these great beasts that come out from the sea, representing great evil and chaos. And yet Jesus' power is greater than the chaos. Jesus' power and sovereignty over the sea, over chaos, over evil is demonstrated here in the stilling of the sea, and it makes the disciples even more afraid than they were when the water was crashing in the boat. You see, the storm in all its power and chaos caused great fear. But the fear was intensified when it shifted from the sea to the person who calmed the sea. See, the storm had immense power that the disciples could no control. But when they saw what Jesus can do, they realized Jesus had infinitely more power and they had less control over Jesus than the storm itself. The disciples experienced the reality that Jesus is unmanageable like the storm was. And that's why they ask in fear. Who then is this? Who is this? And this is an important point of the passage and an important application for us to grasp when we think about storms and chaos in our lives. See, the question the disciples ask at the end of our story is very important for us to apply in our lives. Because there's a danger in retelling this story like this that Jesus calmed the storm and think it is a good story to comfort us with the assurance that Jesus will calm all of our storms. There's a danger in taking this story and applying it this way. The disciples cried out and needed help, and Jesus met them and stopped what they, they had problems with. And that's what Jesus is going to do today, no matter what we're going through. That distorts the real point of the passage. Because the passage is not the focus on the disciples. The passage is not the focus on you and me and our lives. The passage is focusing on the identity of Jesus, which is summed up in the disciples' question in verse 41. Who then is this, that even the waves and the winds and the sea obey him? Who is Jesus is the question that Mark wants us to answer. Who is Jesus, why did he come, and why does that matter? And all our lives should be about seeing and believing and understanding who Jesus is, and especially when we're in the midst of difficult times, which we all have Jesus knew that these disciples did not understand who he was and that's why he asks in verse 40 why are you so afraid have you still no faith now in one sense this seems like a crazy question for Jesus to ask um why we're so afraid well you know we almost died and then we woke you up and you said this little word and all of a sudden the storm stopped and it's completely quiet now and we're a little freaked out so yes that is why we are afraid but Jesus asks this question because he knows their premise was wrong. They had the wrong story in mind, like I did with my cat and the softball. Disciples have already spent time seeing and experienced Jesus as a friend, as a teacher, as a healer, as a miracle worker. In fact, already in the Gospel of Mark, they have seen healings. They have seen the casting out of demons. But they still don't believe who Jesus is and what he provides for them. And so they are afraid. And I think the fear that they had is a fear that some of us have right now. They don't believe Jesus cares because they don't believe really that Jesus loves them. They don't believe that Jesus loves them because if he did, there's no way he would allow this storm to happen. You see, they believe the storm couldn't happen because Jesus was with them. But many of you know more than I do that storms are a part of life that none of us can escape. There is no stormless seas in life. We have a Savior who sometimes doesn't deliver us from the storms, but through the storms. We have a Savior who, does, who actually does allow people that he loves to go through storms. I mean, if Jesus had the power to stop the storm, he had the power to know that the storm was about to come, and he could have told the disciples, let's wait a little bit before we go over to the other side, but he did not. If Jesus has the power to stop the storm from happening, he could have prevented it from even coming on the scene, but he did not. And listen, this is hard for us at times. There's often not an easy answer to why God allows things to happen. We don't like this about our God. We are afraid and doubt God's plan, and it affects not only how we believe this, but how it plays out in our lives. So Jesus saw this in his disciples. He saw that they doubted his care for them, even though he has given evidence to the contrary. And so he asks them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Or where is your faith, he asks them. Now faith is not just a virtue that some of us have and some of us don't. Faith is not just an exercise of the will that I'm going to have more faith. Faith is something you learn about and you become acquainted with. Faith is something that is built upon the evidence presented to us. And what is the evidence that is presented to us throughout all of Scripture? That Jesus is worthy of our faith. That Jesus is the source of faith. That Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. We need Jesus to give us the faith to live our lives. The issue with faith is not the strength of our faith, but the object of our faith. Our faith ebbs and flows based upon how good things are going and how bad things are going, but the object of our faith, the person and work of Jesus, will not change, and we need to believe that. You know, this is the first of four sermons on Christ in the chaos of our lives, and listen, there's many more examples we could have looked at in all the Gospels and all of Scripture. Chaos is going to be a part of our lives until Jesus comes back and makes all things right. I truly wish it wasn't true. I wish there was a magic pill to prevent you from going through the storms and the struggles you're facing right now, but there's not. Storms will rage more than we even expect at times. And these storms will naturally bring us back to that first question that the disciples asked. Jesus, do you care? Do you care? And when the chaos comes upon us and overwhelms us like the boat filled with water, we begin to think the answer is no. He doesn't care because look at what's happening in my life. But as I close this sermon, let me just say this. The answer to the question of if God cares for us is not found in the calming of the sea in the Gospel of Mark. The answer to the question does God care for us is not found in the calming of the storms that have happened in your life. The answer to the question that we know he cares and he loves us is because Jesus calmed the only storm that could actually sink us. Jesus willingly took on the storm of God's justice and God's wrath for you and me. Jesus took on the storm of the crucifixion to pay for our sins that we have committed. Jesus calmed the storm of guilt and shame that we all experience when he took our sins on the cross and died so that we can have life. May you believe that he has taken on the storm of God's justice and wrath for you. May you believe that for the first time today or the 100th time that Jesus took on the waves of our sin and our regret and our failings because he set us free from them. And the more we believe that he took care of that storm, the more we can hope in the midst of chaos and storms in our life. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your son and for his ways that he has shown us his love to us. We thank you that we get a beautiful picture of that in just a minute when we feast on this meal that reminds us of your love for us. Father, help each one of us here in whatever storms we're going through, whatever chaos we're experiencing, whatever difficulties will arise, that we will believe that you are present and that you care and that you love us. In your name. Amen.